This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Greetings. Welcome to our virtual summit, Time to Rise 2020. I'm Naila Chaudhary, Director of Social Impact and Innovation, UC San Diego. Today we are partnering with Foundation for the Support of the United Nations, FSUN, celebrating the 75th UN General Assembly. And I'm honored to host this panel, Voices of Peace, Leadership, and Racial Healing. The present state of the world is one of unrest and unpredictability. Transformation leaders like you all believe in equal opportunity and living with dignity. This includes access to education, job, finance, health care, housing, elevating poverty at every level. Our leaders, be local or global, must advocate for peace through collaborative efforts. This panel will address bold, innovative, inclusive strategies to accomplish that goal. This conversation of diverse leaders around the country will explain the necessary action in order to pave a path towards peace and healing. Our world definitely needs change makers. They need successful leaders, but we desperately need peacemakers and restorers. Today, we have outstanding speakers and moderator. Emmanuel Perlman, our esteemed moderator, is a global peace builder, passionate, selfless, devoted to serving others, unflinching in his pursuits. He's a spiritual leader wearing many hats. He's a lyric tenor, composer, lecturer, recording artist, therapist, cleric, mentor and guide to many like me. Manny touches many lives by being a motivational speaker. And he sang in famous places like the Windsor Castle, UN headquarters, and he's also singing throughout the world in his role as the founder and CEO of Destination Peace. Manny, the platform is yours. Thank you, Nyla, for conceiving and serving as the founder of this, your fifth annual transformative conference. It's an honor to participate in my fourth UCSD Summit under your visionary leadership. Welcome, distinguished panelists. Our topic is voice of peace, leadership, and racial healing. Through superlative communication skills, bold and effective leadership, promoting mutual understanding and incorporating United Nations sustainable goals, our four panelists have effectively moved mountains in their respective communities. Let's begin our discussion with Reverend Hathaway. Reverend Dr. Alvin C. Hathaway, Sr., practices in his service to the community the topic of his dissertation, Preaching and Teaching Servant Leadership. As a practitioner of servant leadership, he impacts all segments of the community with family-oriented programs, cyber center technology, advocacy and restoration of historic places. His current project involves the renovation of PS 103, the school attended by Justice Thurgood Marshall. Question number one. 
the most basic instinct and human requirement is to survive and thrive. Quarantined at home with food and water will sustain us. However, without physical connections and being able to congregate, cite examples how you as a leader have virtually engaged your community. Reverend Al. Uh, thank you, uh, Brother Manny. In fact, it's good to be with you. Uh, we first have to recognize that this pandemic has caused, uh, within the community I serve, a sense of trauma. So we really are wrestling with uh, trauma, a community that is traumatized. So when you're traumatized, you have to recognize that there's basically three things you're going to do. You're going to, one, you're going to want to fight. One, you're going to have a sense of fear. The other is going to, you're going to flight. You're going to run from it. So we have to be, as faith leaders, we have to assure people that there is a safe haven, which is the role of the church. So virtually, I have to have to access my people so that they know that there's consistency in terms of word, that there's consistency in terms of presence, and that there is an open heart to assist them whenever they have need. That's the servant leadership aspect. One of the things we did, and it really deals with the UN's understanding, that through technology, we have to make certain that technology is accessible to people. And one of the things we did with our cyber center, we created what we call cyber seniors, So that the senior members of our church understand technology, not knowing that we have to deal with it in the pandemic. So there was no learning curve that we had to undertake when we went to a Zoom format in terms of our service. And so we have connectivity. It's amazing. My participation has increased. My senior members feel comfortable and they feel assured that their church is still serving them. And we have to make certain that that accessibility is available even in their need. So when they needed masks, we made certain they had uh, uh, N95 masks. Uh, when they need food, we make certain that they're food. If you need someone to come and pick up a prescription and take it to the doctor, we have persons that do that as well. Those are the things that we're doing in this virtual environment to assure people that you don't have to feel a sense of trauma that you're by yourself or all alone. Thank you, Al. Our next panelist is Twyla Garrett. Twyla Garrett has been called a fearless game changer with an unmistakable passion to change the narrative of urban communities, a drive to succeed in the face of adversity and the tenacity to persevere. She has been a visionary business executive for over 25 years. She currently owns a successful full-service construction firm where she prides herself in providing second chance opportunity to those that need to re-enter the job market with some challenges. Twyla currently serves on several boards and is a phenomenal speaker, author, and mentor. So Twyla, how do you virtually engage in your community? Well, thank you, Manny. I think the biggest way we have engaged is that we have to still reach out. You know, unfortunately, unfortunately, construction was never shut down. So we constantly had to continue to reach out to the individuals who thought they didn't have a job, but really did. And then also go back and look at those individuals who really needed jobs. When this pandemic hit, it was so scattered that what was essential and what wasn't essential, who, who were those individuals? Everybody thought it was just the medical professionals. And truly, unbeknownst to me, I didn't realize that some of the things that we were doing and building was considered essential. 
But one of the blessings that this pandemic has done is it's made us go out into the communities and try to find individuals. Look, we understand that sometimes when you look at construction, that unemployment check probably was more effective and attractive than actually coming to work. But what we had to make people realize quickly is that at some day we will, and this will pass, what do you do then? Seize this as an opportunity. Make sure you have your boots on the ground and you have your, you know, because this is going to, you know, show who's in it and who's not. And so we've been able to go out, engage those individuals. And then I want to say this, they came to work. And unfortunately, in our environment, we had several employees that caught the virus and we had several sites that had to shut down. And so now communication is even more of the key because, you know, people want to know, Twyla, what happened yesterday? We heard that 15 people were walked off. Everybody looked normal. And are we coming to work tomorrow? And so, or is it safe to come to work? So we had to now use technology and this type of fear to pull down the fear of the anxiety that it just created to even walk into a space when you know 15 people just walked out pronounced positive. So... Uh, our goal has been to really make sure that everybody, and, and just like the Reverend, you know, we do have some individuals that are, are quite, you know, mature in their age, and we had to make sure they understood how to do the technology. We have an app that gives alerts. We can put out broadcasts pretty quickly that if we know that one of the sites has some people that are, you know, struggling, then we want to get out. So we want to make sure that we are positive and keeping everybody engaged. So technology has been a blessing, and we hope it will continue. Thank you, Twyla. Our next panelist is Roland Selby. Roland R. Selby Jr. is a champion for opportunity youth across the country. He strongly believes that talent is equally distributed among our communities and no one's potential should be limited by the mere zip code where they live. Daily, he strives to be the change that he wishes to see in the world. Roland, how do you virtually engage your community? Well, Manny, thank you so much. Um, our community is defined by you know, our zip codes, by the circles of friends, uh, our employees and employers. And um, in my line of work, I serve young adults who are 18 and 24 years of age or uh, veterans. And what we've done is we had to make sure that we did an assessment to see how connected or disconnected our circles are. And one of the things that the pandemic has exposed is the fact that there's a large number of people who are disconnected from digital, from devices, from the Wi-Fi. And uh, it's important to understand what steps can we do to help our circles, but also what system changes need to be made in order to effectuate the change to connect more people. I was uh, in preparing for today, uh, listening to some TED Talks on the digital divide, and someone used an analogy of catching a train and having to step across a gap to get onto a train, the train being symbolic of technology. Uh, we have some young people who are not able to step onto that train. They don't have the devices. They don't have the Wi-Fi. And so what we were able to do is identify these gaps and provide some resources for them. So they have a temporary connection, or we may have gifted them the Mofi or some other technology that allows them to work from home because to work from home is a privilege. Not mm -hmm. everyone had that opportunity. And what we realize is that you take for granted that we may be able to serve our constituents, serve our congregation and serve our peers through use of Zoom and, and other media, but 
there's also those that did not have that access. So we may have had to go old school and put a mask on and do some social distancing visits. And so one of the things that we did within my fraternal uh, circles is making sure that we had a standard call every week using Zoom and then also um, activating the call features because sometimes you could just dial into a Zoom. So we can at least hear your voice if we can't see your face. And that would allow us to make sure we can do a wellness check. We can make sure that everyone was being served. If you needed any, anything, we could provide the resources or just be there as a companion. Um, the other thing is making sure we develop in a very quick order the platforms online to serve our students because they weren't able to go to their internships or to the workplace. They, there's no intern that's an essential employee, although our interns may work in essential departments. So what we did was make sure that we had platforms created and leveraged off the counter so that they can continue learning and that we can create an environment that replicated a work environment without physically going to someone's workplace. So we were able to continue developing our young people, giving them the tools to interact in the workplace, and also be able to touch our, our community, our friends, our family, in a way to ensure that they're healthy, they're thriving, if they had any gaps, that we could help identify those gaps and serve them. Thank you, Roland. And now, Jeff Thompson. Jeff Thompson is a five-time karate gold medalist who has championed the fundamental human right of sport and the arts in the lives of disaffected young people from disadvantaged backgrounds globally. As founder and chair of International United Nations NGO Youth Charter, he campaigns, advocates, and fights for the streets that he has come from to provide inspirational hope and opportunity for life. Jeff, how do you virtually engage in your community? Thank you, Manning. Thank you for the opportunity to contribute. I've always believed that sport and the arts are a vaccine and antidote to so many of society's ills. And I don't think that became more apparent than when COVID hit the world. And then I looked at the streets where it simply compounded the disaffection and disadvantage that many of the young people we were trying to help. And where Al and Twyla and Roland talked about this intergenerational disconnect and almost digital exclusion of those already facing many life chances and challenges, we had to see how we could innovatively use young people in our, in our approach where we engage them with sport, art, culture, and digital activity. We equip them with the mental, physical, and emotional resilience and life skills. And then hopefully we empower them with the aspiration and confidence to further higher education, employability, or entrepreneurship. That ecosystem has to be sustainable as part of an intergenerational approach. So we started to look at how many innovative platforms are being developed so that people got that mental, physical, and emotional engagement. Whilst distanced, Sport and the Arts began to develop many platforms of interaction where people could log in, even when they didn't have a computer or a TV screen, many of them who were living in council estates or projects would use their simple mobile devices. And many families were simply dependent on that one unifying moment in the day where they would engage and achieve some semblance of individual or collective relationship. So the distancing has provided innovation. And the one example I would cite was the Mandela Mile, the July 18th, remembrance and acknowledgments of the late President Nelson Mandela and the walk for Kofi, the late Secretary General of the UN, Kofi Annan. 
And with Carl and a number of a unique partnership, we delivered a Mandela Mile leadership program to 40 countries, 40 young leaders who all showed great potential. And the three week program led to the July 18th, bringing together the whole world who had virtual walks, virtual engagement, innovation, projects and programs. And what it reaffirmed to me is young people can interact actively with our elders and our elders can apply that wisdom, knowledge and experience and be interactively active with them. And a whole new ecosystem has been developed. So we're now looking at how a community campus would have a framework and a cultural engagement model that will provide much legacy hope and opportunity once many say the pandemic will end, but I believe new opportunities of resilience and of intergenerational engagement will provide inner city, suburban or rural communities with an opportunity for all. Thank you, Jeff, for your inspiration. Now we'll move on to the next question. How do you envision digital portals to break down barriers that distance and separate people coming from different backgrounds and improve mutual understanding and peaceful coexistence? This time, let's start with you, Jeff. We've actually developed a community campus portal to build on what I shared with you earlier. And that portal allows a more effective and efficient use of resources. It helps to impact, track, measure, and provide outputs and outcomes in real time that really does show what we're going to need to provide as global recessions, unemployment, uncertainty creates that fear and anxiety. We have to start looking at how communities are being more innovative, but how we give them the lead in being able to bring all these agencies together. So that portal has now been developed, inspired by young people, with young people, for young people, but with the intergenerational reach of that wider community. And we're now getting ready to share that with the rest of the world, because it is a model that can be applied to any community, provides the interactivity, but more importantly, the creativity and the ability, skills, talent, and potential of each community to be able to then be framed with the UN 2030 Sustainable Development Goals. So it's something I'm really excited about, and what I'm hoping we will share with the world, as I believe that's what ultimately can sustain us impactfully and positively. Thank you, Jeff. Moving on to Roland, how do you improve mutual understanding and peaceful coexistence through digital portals? Thank you, Manny. Uh, recently, uh, I've been introduced to a number of platforms in social media that allows for people to find what we call their tribe, people who have common interests and also have common desires. Um, additionally, we found that you have the ability to then select organizations or uh, other tribes where you wanna learn about people that may be different and come from different backgrounds. Uh, it's important that we realize that we are in a time right now where technology is always advancing and that there may be some people who may not be connected but for those that are connected, it's our duty to reach back and identify how we can bring them into the, the digital uh, realm. Also making sure like some of our elders that may not be uh, using technology because it's intimidating. Uh, finding ways to incorporate them and introduce them into technology. Um, my mom recently uh, got a laptop and she's connected to the internet and she plays <laughs> solitaire. And I'm saying this is the thing that you're going to use the most influential technology for, but you know what? She's connected. She gets the emails from families and we can Zoom with her. Um, but it's also making sure that we're able to identify where our needs are 
and how we can serve the broader community. Um, right now, there's a lot of food pantries that are requesting assistance. There are people that are passing out food. And of course, you're, you're, you're social distancing, you're preparing yourself properly, but the communication is coming through digitally. And it's also the recruitment tool to bring in people for like the Maryland Food Bank so we can identify volunteer opportunities to go and distribute food for needy families. So the technology is really bringing people closer together that are connected by presenting them with the information and the requests that uh, would make the, the, the benefit uh, the community. Um, I'll also say this, uh, Manny, forums like this, right? I've been mm -hmm. a part of the NAACP conversations, the Uni uh, University of California, San Diego, TV's uh, presentation. This is prevent, uh, projecting information and pushing information out into the world. So it helps to share information and encourage dialogue. And this is fantastic. Well, thank you, Roland. And please tell your mother that bridge can be fun too. And I'll send her an easy pass. <laughs> So moving on to Twyla, how would you answer that question? Well, Manny, it's funny because my dad is 88 and he just got a smartphone for the first time last week. He has never received a picture at all. So the very first thing I did was send him a picture of me at one of my job sites and he almost fell out. He said, I didn't know you were doing something dangerous. So <laughs> it was kind of comical, but we have... Um, truly committed ourselves to reach out in the community by actually having our employees get engaged. So we have a portal internally where we now have asked everybody that's part of our employment team to reach out in the community and let us know if there's anybody in need. Because right now you just don't know. There's a lot of elderly that just don't have anyone to reach out to them, write a note or reach out and call. So we're sending gift packs, uh, packs and gift boxes to those individuals. A lot of the responses that we got with our employees was backpacks. Even though kids are not going back to school, I think they've been lost in the sense that they, that big urge of getting their clothes and their gifts and their school supplies, they didn't have that. So we were able to do that just by reaching out. Technology is key and, and we want everybody to be brought along. I think my dad already has talked to six or seven of his friends about getting a phone that now you could get pictures and things of that nature and see us. Because even though we can't touch you, that's our virtual hug. And I feel so great now that I can, you know, see my dad when he talks to me and it means so much. So I think we have to make sure that our employees are engaged back into the community and they realize that we're committed with them. So when we give them that charge to say, find us some individuals, and even if it's you, we had an employee that had COVID and his family, I mean, he went to the hospital, they told him to come home, but unfortunately he had seven kids and a wife. And where would he be able to shelter? So we were able to move her out and let him stay to be cared for in order to make sure he didn't affect someone. So we have to be more prudent. And definitely that divide is there. We have to realize it. We have to understand it. And we have to get past it. we got to get people into the fact that there's a digital divide. How do we mitigate it and keep moving? Well, Twyla, I certainly can agree with you. And I hope that someday the pictures on our phone will match the hugs that we're missing. We have, plenty, we have plenty of pictures, but not enough of hugging. So I thank you very much for your comments. And Al, how about you answering this question? Uh, I'm in a community uh, where the average income for 20,000 people is $13,000 a year. Uh, we know that this community is disconnected uh, from technology. Uh, so we built a cyber center in, the, uh, in our community center. Uh, which would permit people to have access to the Internet, to have an email address, to do homework, etc. 
But now because of social distancing, I had to take it to the next step. And so what we're going to do is we're putting a antenna on our uh, a steeple. And that through that antenna, people will be able to connect for free Wi-Fi. We'll provide free Wi-Fi to 250 families in our community. But what's also going to happen is that those 250 families that connect to us, they themselves will become a hotspot. And so then people can and then connect through them. And so we look to expand out uh, hopefully around a thousand families in our community uh, that would then be connected through, through free Wi-Fi. The next step we will do is that uh, this then allows us from a ministry perspective to push out messages directly to all those families that are connected to us. And we think that's going to be the way of the future. Uh, when you think in terms of urban ministry in a local community, it's going to be how do we use technology to keep people connected, to keep people informed, and even to keep people entertained and inspired. And I believe that we're on the cusp of really uh, uh, demonstrating how that can be done in a very practical way. I wrote an op-ed about that called Bridging the Digital Divide. And out of that op-ed, I was invited. I'm going to be a keynote speaker uh, next week for the National Association of Technology of Officials. Uh, in that, I'm, I'm, I'm offering the premise that you build the bridge where you are. And it means that, in effect, that we have a responsibility not to look out for that train that's coming by. We have a responsibility to build that platform right where we are so that the people in our neighborhoods and communities can directly access uh, information and access the uh, uh, digital technology. And that's what we're doing there at, uh, at Union Baptist Church. Thank you, Reverend Al. Thanks to technology, any time that Reverend Al speaks or writes an article, I get a beep. And I look forward to your articles very much. Nyla, would you like to ask a question of our distinguished panelists? I would love to. It has been so inspiring hearing all of you. It's amazing, all of you, what you do. Since it's the 75th UN General Assembly celebration we are joining, so I would love to hear from each one of you out of the 17 UN Development Goal, which goal or goals are the closest to you and uh, you're passionate about? If you could briefly tell, and can I start with Twyla? Sure, um, goal number eight is my passion. It's always been my passion. You know, to me, you have to make, you know, employment, you have to be able to sustain and live your life. And in order to do that, you gotta give people the opportunity, the chances, the talent, and the training. And as long as we can move that along, we can make a difference in this world because people have to be able to own the right to have comfort and that creature comfort of just knowing that your family's gonna be okay, they're not gonna be hungry, you're able to bring and support you know, the, you know, the people that's in your ecosystem. So goal number eight has always gonna be a love for me. Thank you. And can I move on to Roland? Thank you, Nyla. Um, Number eight resonated with me as well, but I selected goal number 10, reduced inequality within and among countries, because it also incorporated a number of other goals. Um, I think what resonates with me is the fact that we have not only the digital divide, we have economic divides, we have social impact, economic mobility. There's so much inequality that um, we need to figure systemic changes for. Um, what, what is the challenge when you say systemic changes is that there's so many systems just in one state, one country, let alone you talk about the world. So it's understanding how do we leverage the United Nations to help effectuate this change? 
so that we can identify a common thread. And maybe we can just focus on those three or four threads within goal number 10, that it has overarching impact into some of the other goals. And so I think with this COVID, this pandemic has absolutely really heightened and exposed a lot of the inequalities that were hidden over the years. Uh, we may have known it was there, but it's so broad, it's, it's right in your face now. And so what I'm passionate about is how do I and my family and the community I live in, how can we contribute to reducing these inequalities? How can we work with Dr. Alvin Hathaway and his organization and his church to bridge the techno technological divide? And working with Jeff in the UK, this, this, this is the connection. And this is one of the things I'm excited about, Manny and Nyla, that we're bringing people together to have these conversations. And hopefully something will be sparked when this is presented to the UN so that we can also figure out how we can play into um, effectuating change in these goals. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And this is the interesting part and the power of technology that uh, Jeff is sitting in London. Each of us are in different places and technology has brought us together to help and collaborate and make the world sustainable. Thank you. Uh, Reverend Al? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, goal number four, I believe, and when you think in terms of quality education, uh, education is a passport. Uh, our church has been involved in the Hit Start uh, 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 program experience for 53 years. Uh, we have graduated over 10,000 children through our Hit Start program, ages three and four. But what we found was two things. One was we had to get persons ready for the Head Start program. So we had to drill down and we created uh, a Healthy Babies program. So the Healthy Babies program works with mothers, work with their, their uh, significant others to ensure that children are born with a healthy birth weight and there is no infant mortality and that we teach parenting skills early on. Then we are prepared for the person to go to our Head Start program. They're the age three and four. What we then did, we did a Kellogg study that looked at a longitudinal that our children were regressing when they got to the third grade. So that meant that we had to find a way to impact the schools in our community. So we created with University of Maryland School of Social Work an initiative called Promise Heights, where we work in the five schools that surround our community with the support services, uh, with the uh, professional assistance, uh, mental health specialists, school coordinators, to ensure that those outcomes are the kind of outcomes that allow for an educational corridor. We have to make certain that there is a corridor through which our young people can walk where there's quality education because my uh, brother Jeff talked about resilience. Resilience takes on three distinct aspects. First is extended family networks. Second is community-based schools. And the third is a faith-based institution. So what we try to do is to equip the children with those uh, uh, plagues and platforms for resilience so that they can get quality education. So for us, quality education is the passport that allows person to go forever, to be whatever, and to achieve the potential that they have within them. Thank you so much. Uh, Jeff, may I? Like... For me, the good health and well-being of our global citizens gives them the right and I think the responsibility that comes with the goal of quality education. You then have goal eight, decent work and economic growth, and that can sustain and reduce goal 10 in inequalities, because those inequalities can lead to the social, cultural and societal tensions that we're experiencing at this moment in time. 
I think goal 11 sustains us and allows us to develop hope and opportunity. And that's why 16 sees peace, justice and strong institutions result. So we start to restore, rebuild and reposition ourselves within the challenges and opportunities that we face going forward. But ultimately for me, goal 17, the final goal, but the most important, what we're achieving here today, partnership, collaboration, actually making things that achieve these goals realistic. The IOC, the International Olympic Committee and the UN have an accord. I want to see that activated within this new world of the, what I'm told the art of the norm, the new norm. Next year will be the rescheduled Olympic Games in Tokyo. It normally unifies the world. We have a village that becomes the child, that becomes the community. But how will our call to action of 50 campuses throughout the world, 50,000 social coaches that can build trust, confidence and respect, intergeneration in our communities, and more importantly, impact on the lives of no less than 5 million young people who otherwise would not have that chance. Those are the bold dreams that I believe sport, culture, arts, when all of the games come together, everything that we talk about is delivered. There were a time where the war stopped when the opening ceremonies came. I'd like to see that happen. And I think the games next year, and we're told it may not happen, I think it will happen. There's already digital remote um, sporting disciplines beginning to happen. We're beginning to see how sport, the arts and culture, re-equips, re-engages and repositions re us as a global community. So our work is tirelessly ensuring that we provide that bridge of glue, we provide that bridge of interactivity, but that partnership, what we're doing now is critical. And I'm hoping that will be the legacy opportunity for all that we seek, need and must have. Thank you so much, Jeff. Uh, with this, I'm getting tempted to share a quote from my guru, uh, the hugging saint, Mata Amrita Nandamai Amma. She always says love when defined as compassion and compassion is accepting others' needs and sorrow as your own. That's when we bring stability, peace and racial healing towards us. And this has been an awesome panel, but I can't go without asking a question to Manny, actually. Uh, Manny, how do you envision peace for sustainability? And how do you work towards it? And there's another part of it. And what sort of message would you like to leave behind for us? Through education, practice, and modeling peace, our destination should be peaceful coexistence. We start in our schools, teaching unaltered factual history without being sanitized or revised to fit opinion makers. We stress nonfiction as a source of our Netflix world when depicting American and global history. We focus and learn about the virtues of Gandhi, Mother Teresa, and other role models and stop exploiting the foibles and weaknesses of everyone our children and grandchildren can model. This is what I want to leave behind me and see it materialize right before my very eyes before I die. I would like to propose an 18th sustainable goals. I am partial to all of them and I do focus on number 16, but I think we should have an 18th sustainable goal that recognizes and promotes the ideals of responsible leaders, men and women who exemplify the character and values of leaders like Nyla, Twyla, Al, Jeff, and Roland. 
I want to thank you all for sharing your wisdom and your insights with us today. And I would like to end by singing an original song that I wrote. Never lose faith in yourself. Know what you believe, not in someone else. Anything is possible when you lead instead of follow. What and how, not why and when, true leaders ask and do like you. Destination peace, our destinations peace. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.